Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Hello and welcome to Monday's edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host, Tony Anderson, and on this occasion, I am joined by Joe Sked. Hello, Tony. Hello, Joe. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I've not, I don't get to do this with you as much anymore. It's a, it's a sad part of my life that we don't get to... It used to be every single Monday for about three years that I always met you and spoke to you. Yes, exactly. It was, it's it's uh, it's changed days since then. Since driving up to, um, I remember one incident where driving we were meant to be recording at yours, and then it got changed last minute. But I didn't get the text and uh, had to get recorded at fillers. So that meant driving across town, and I got my one and only it wasn't a speeding ticket. Driving through a red light, my one and only three points. Well, there we go. And you're <laughs> uh, that's brilliant, Joe. That showed how much you cared even back then, and even now you've grown into. So uh, a proper Scottish football personality, it shows that working hard gets you there and it's worth, it's worth breaking the law to make it there. <laughs> <laughs> Much like uh, some other people in Scottish football we might talk about later. And Craig Anderson, I'm joined by him. Hello, Craig, how are you? I'm good, how are you, Tony? Aye, it's wonderful. It's nice to talk to you as well. Again, someone I don't always get to do these podcasts with, so it's really great. And with the contentious decisions... We've had this weekend, Craig. I think I'm going to abuse the fact that you're a ref and uh, you're going to get a lot of those talking points, just to beware. And on that, we are going to stop, uh, start where those contentious decisions were, and that is Aberdeen versus Rangers. Um, but I'm going to come to you, Joe. I just we'll start maybe about Rangers and the positives. Is, is, that, is, is Ryan Kent and Alfredo Morelos, are they back? Are they back? 
Yes, I, I, th- I think so. I think especially Morelos, it seems like this has been building for um, a, a few games now where he's just he's, he's, he's becoming more influential and it, it came to a head yesterday. I thought early on, I thought, OK, he's going to have another uh, haphazard display when he got played through in what, the first 20 seconds, 30 seconds and the attempt was was really poor. It was really rushed. There was lack of composure, almost like a la- lack of awareness completely. But uh, that being said, the the way he broke the offside trap, the way he ran away from Ash Taylor, that was actually more of a sign to come, uh, a sign of what was to come with him, because I thought his movement, in particular, going towards goal and also linking play was was absolutely brilliant. And then he seen seen Kent, where sometimes he still gives me the he, sometimes watching him. I, I, I sometimes still get frustrated with him because there was moments yesterday where he was dribbling, he was doing these stepovers, and he was just gliding past players with ease. And you just, you just think he has the quality to do that more often, to influence games uh, much more for a much longer period. Uh, but then you've you seen the assist for Morelos's second goal. That flick was it, at first I didn't think he meant it, and then when you actually uh, when you, you seen on the replay, it was just delicious. Yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. Craig, um, talking of, so Ash Taylor was mentioned there. There's funnily enough, me and Craig Fowler, right after, um, sort of towards the end of the year, we'd done the top five players in the league for December. And Craig picked Ash Taylor. And Fowler basically, he basically stated this is exactly what was going to happen. We were going to state that Taylor's had a great time of it and he's wonderful and he doesn't deserve the abuse he gets, but the reality was always going to happen that Ash Taylor would rear his ugly head. Do you feel he was at blame for the two of those goals, Craig? It's hard. Like, Ash Taylor's a mediocre defender. Like, he's not terrible. And I think he had a good month in December, so you can understand kind of the, the two of you coming to that conclusion in that discussion that you had. But he's, he's the worst of the three centre-halves. And, and you can say he's at fault, but I, I prefer in both of those goals to, to give credit to Morelos, I think, because um, I was reading something funny the other, the other week about um, a kind of presentation coaching about how to coach strikers. And it was describing something called assassin goal scorers. Now, I don't like these types of terms, but uh, it basically... I do. One of the that sounds brilliant. Things... I, knew, I knew you were going to step in there, Joel. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're a huge fan of these... So arbitrary names that are created for positions round the round the pitch. Give us a couple of your favourites then. Uh, oh, uh, Trek uh, Trek Artista uh, has to be up there just because of football manager and uh, what else? In in Banch, I think that's a, a very similar player. It's uh, in Argentina it describes I think a, a number ten or a hook. So yeah, it's it makes it makes writing f- f- uh, more fun and easier. But but for the, us who the, don't the thing write, of- Craig. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, the, the thing that I'd read, in it, and it was just when I saw those two goals, it, it, it kind of brought it back up, was about uh, taking shots when they were unexpected. And in both cases, I think Morelos hits the shots really early. Like, you you kind of, before the ball comes to him, and before you know it, it's kind of in the bottom corner. And I think it, it catches out Taylor, who could, who could be tighter to him and stuff, but also it catches out Lewis. And, and I'm not blaming Lewis in any way for the two goals, because I think they're just, just two excellent finishes. But I think it kind of brought that, that's the quality that he brings is that most players, it would have taken them another second before they even thought about getting that shot away. Um, so so I prefer I prefer to think about those goals as, as being pretty good from an attacking point of view. It's not to say you can't pick faults. And I think, as I say, 
Taylor could have done better. There's probably there's probably other instances of Aberdeen players maybe just being able to get a wee bit tighter to their men in the build up as well and just make it a wee bit harder to work it into the centre like that. But I think the two finishes are of, of the kind of the highest quality. Yeah, and it's something we're used to seeing with, with Morelos. I think Morelos, when he was at his best, uh, obviously the obvious things about him rolling defenders, enjoying the battle, but I agree with you. Uh, back when he was at his best, it was always those early finishes. He liked a lot of one-touch finishes. And and to, it was, I, I, I was delighted to see him back like that. And I know he's a box office player, and I know he's hated and loved probably in equal measures across the country, but for me, he's, he's, he's one of my favourite players to watch. Uh, in Scottish football, and I don't mean that just in terms of his box office nature, in terms of his fighting and um, his, the red mist descended, I just mean genuinely in watching him play football. So I'm delighted to see him back there. But Craig, I need to come to you now because we had, the before any of these goals went in, we had the penalty and red card decision from Hedges. And I know you've been having uh, your usual pots at people on Twitter. So here's sort of like, you have your soapbox and tell us what the rights and wrongs of that decision was. This is a, but this is a degree of professionalism you're talking about in the, the aborted uh, introduction <laughs> that we had to do earlier. Um, my, my Twitter outbursts. Um, yeah, I just think the the, the way the way that the um, discussions were done, the way the discussion around refereeing decisions is um, in British football, I don't know if it's the same on the continent, it's, it's just wrong. It just kind of hangs referees out to dry because... Rather than looking at what the actual rule is, you have people basically making their judgments based on what they think the rule should be or what they think the rule is. I don't understand. Um, I watch sports scene, I watch Sky Sports uh, when, when the game is on live. At no point did any of them actually just bring up the one paragraph from the laws of the game that says what the rule is. Mm-hmm. And, and it feels like that the most obvious thing to do, whereas you watch like NFL or something, and if there's any sort of contentious decision, the first thing that you get is this kind of paragraph. You see it on the screen and then they, they talk through it, basically, is how how is that decision been, been come to it. And, and I have sympathy in the sense that I think that type of incident, when the law was drawn up in terms of um, this kind of getting rid of the double jeopardy thing, I think this type of incident was perhaps one of the types that it might have had in mind, where it was, it was an accidental foul. I don't think Hedges is trying to to catch him. I think he's trying to kind of get across, get himself into a better position. However, the referee can't go on what he thinks the rule was meant to be maybe written up to be. As was the case with a number of them, it's not been drafted particularly well. And so it says if a player's making a challenge for the ball, then he won't get sent off. Well, Ryan Hedges is not making an attempt to play the ball. That's not what his foul is. So therefore, there isn't and there isn't an option for the referee not to send them off it's basically if you fill someone and deny a goal scoring opportunity it is a red card the only exception being if you make an honest attempt to play the ball or whatever or an attempt to play the ball the rule should you- if they wanted to go that the rule should be it's only a red card if they think the foul is deliberate but that's not what the rule is um, so therefore the there is not there's not an argument really for it not being a red card. So so while I have sympathy and I think if you, I, I don't like this rule in general, I think the, the rule as it was was better where it was just you deny a goal scoring opportunity or off. But if they wanted to change the rule, um then I think this type of incident should be covered by it. But it's not. So it has to be a red card. 
And what can the referee do about that? Yeah, that's not his job to to talk about, to consider the spirit of rules or anything like that. He has to look at it as completely black and white. Um, what did you think about uh, Curtis Main's uh, red card? Well, sort of booking that everyone was screaming about being a red card, Craig. I'd be interested to know what other people think on that because for me, like, it's one of these that he's, his feet are high and he goes in with his foot kind of up. But I don't think it's actually particularly dangerous compared to others. Like I think a yellow card's okay. I, th- I think if you gave a red card, you could understand why. But I think, unlike other challenges, I don't think the, act- the actual risk is particularly high just because of the, the way of the, ch- the challenge. And this is where it comes difficult because it's very hard to describe what you mean because a lot of these things, it's just you see it and you kind of have a feeling of this is what I think it should be. But there was just something about the nature of it. I thought, you know what, it's not... It's not going to break somebody's leg. It's not going to cause a serious injury. It's clumsy. It's it's very much reckless, which is a yellow card offence, but I don't think it's dangerous, which is what it has to be in order to be a red. I think yeah, you so could I, argue I, either I, way. Yeah, I I think this is uh, this is one that's very much up to the interpretation of the the referee. I think it's less uh, cut and dry than the penalty decision because I mean, it falls under serious foul play, where it says a tackler challenge endangers the safety of an opponent or uses excessive force or brutality must be sanctioned as serious foul play, uh, which uh, means a, a red card. And you could maybe argue um, excessive force. It was, I would say, it's an it was an ugly challenge. Uh, an ugly challenge. It was a very very uh, messy challenge as well. I still think uh, I think Barisic because he I think he can manage to withdraw a, a wee bit, but it, it could have been a lot worse than it was. I think I was thinking it because it's sort of like in midair and it's not like a planted leg or anything like that. I mean, it's going to take something a bit unusual for anything to get broken or, or severely injured in that. I mean, I, I, that might be my, just my perception that isn't true at all, but that's just sort of how I, I viewed it um, on, on sort of like on, on a shin in midair. How much damage can you can you really do? Or does that sound daft? I mean that's that's the 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 way the rules written again. It's is it's essentially a, a Joel kind of read it, but sorry read it out. But you're talking about is it dangerous? And that's where I mean it's sort of like with so many of these, it comes down to what each individual thinks dangerous is. But I think I agree with you, Tony, in the sense that I see dangerous as having the the possibility of causing a, a injury of some sort, like more than just getting somebody a bruise, um, which I think is all all the risk was now. Of course, one of the challenges I think it's impossible to kind of not take into mind kind of the, the players that are involved and stuff. And you think of Curtis Main, and you think he's a big clumsy dumpling, so therefore he makes a clumsy dumpling foul. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if it's someone else, maybe you you consider it in a different way. And I know you shouldn't be doing that, but I think it's natural. Obviously, I'm not the referee. I'm just watching the game as a fan and knowing what Curtis Main is like. It it probably does sway your kind of interpretation of it as well. Um, but for me, I, I thought I didn't. I didn't have an issue with that not being a, a red card. I think if it had been a red card, then you probably wouldn't have had an issue with it either. It's one of those. It's kind of like the ref there to make a, a judgment call. And perhaps if Aberdeen went already down to ten men, it may have been different. Again, it shouldn't be, but you you know in reality that, that these things are considerations. Yeah, because they're human beings. I must. I, I quite liked. Uh, I thought McInnes was all right after it. Uh, when he spoke about it, he, he admitted that the referee came over and explained the decision to him, which I think paints the referee in good lights, which is not something I, I often hear from from a, 
a manager, I think they often talk about the fact that they're, they, 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 they aren't talking about or they refuse to talk about these decisions to them. And, and he basically stated what the referee said, which is very similar to what you've said already, Craig. So I thought, well, it must have been frustrating for, for Dick McInnes because, he, like we're saying, he doesn't agree with the rule. But at the same time, he still painted the referee in a good light, which I was a fan of. But let's move away from decisions. We're not like other places. We kind of like talking about the, the football from time to time. Um, Joe, um, Aberdeen were missing McCrory and they went with um, Hedges at wing back and sort of took Kennedy out and moved Main into the sort of into their front three that they've used a lot this season. How do you think that went? It's, it's it's hard to it's hard to really uh, can analyze it just because of the red card. But up until the red card, I think they would have been relatively happy for making it a quite a scrappy game. I think I could understand looking like how you seen the game transpire. Looking back on it, it was probably a, a sensible decision playing two up and kind of trying to stop Rangers from from playing out from from the back and essentially trying to get Rangers to go a wee bit more direct, uh, longer, and the, the, the three centre-backs would look to, uh, would fancy them chan- fancy their chances in, in the air. So I'm always, I'd always prefer Hedges in the middle, and I was surprised that, 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 Kennedy, uh, that Kennedy wasn't in there. Cosgrove and and, and Main, there's only reason. There's only kind of one reason why you play them up and it, uh, play them up as a strike force, and it's to be destructive, which uh, they, they kind of were. But you've seen it with Cosgrove's chance that they just they lacked that bit of pace and behind. Uh, it was so lumbering running through. It was like at no point during that that chance early on did you really, did you have any confidence that he was scoring? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um... Right, is there anything else you'd like to mention about this game, guys? I was looking at, um, so Balogun was picked ahead of Holander uh, again. How do you feel about that? I'm a big fan of both of them, but I thought Balogun, I always just feel like there's slightly, like he's going to be stretching. He seems to make a lot more tackles than than Holander does. Um, I'm actually of the opinion that Holander is possibly the best out-and-out defender in the league. That might sound daft. I'm, in, I'm interested to hear your points of view on that. But Balogun, for, I think, in this case, I think Hillander against Maine and Cosgrove might have been the, the, the better bet. You saw from that early chance that Joel talked about with, um, with well, to be fair, Hillander and, sorry, um, Balogun and Goldstein both kind of getting themselves in a bit of a tangle with, or getting themselves kind of, basically forgetting where their feet were is what it seemed like for both of them, um, that you do expect, you, you wouldn't expect that from Hillander, you would expect a different type of mistake, definitely people running at him, um, you know, a bit of pace and stuff like that can, can cause him hassle but there, there wasn't any pace in that Aberdeen team um, certainly through the middle so it was less of a problem I, I tend to agree with you I think I think Hillander and Goldson is is the best partnership um, and I, I feel like Balogun is fine but he's, he's not quite at the level of those two um, he, he's probably a better footballer um, than Hillander certainly possibly than Goldson as well but I, 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 I couldn't tell I, I thought it was just interesting in general Rangers defensive shape you kind of saw the same type of issues that they had in Benf- in both games against Benfica, to be honest, and they're two 0 up, and and they just keep going. Now that that's an admirable admirable trait sometimes because you can always say, well, you could be two 0 up, sit back, and the other team pile on top of you, and 
and score two goals and you say, oh, why did we, you know, why did we just concede space to them? Why did we not just keep doing what we were doing? But you saw with the goal Tavernier was 50 yards up the park, when, or it felt like it, when um, when Kennedy scored the goal. And they'd had a warning just before that from um, the incident where uh, Aberdeen eventually took the quick free kick and McGregor made a really good save. That if you want to get the output out of Tavernier, which they do in an attacking sense, and, and, and that's fine, what comes with that sometimes is that he, he won't be there when you're defending. Um, now they've obviously they've obviously accepted that as that's how how things are going to go for them, but I think there may be moments where they don't need to do that. You're two 0 up in a game against still tough opposition. Yeah, they're down to ten men and stuff like that. A team that can hurt you, maybe just see the game out and and Tavernier being 70, 50, 60, 70 yards up the park maybe isn't necessary there. Um, so. It's hard again. It's it's not even being critical. It's just being more one of the consequences of having a really attacking fullback is that they're they're not there to defend sometimes. Yeah, because they could have they could have asked. It's more like they can continue playing the way that they they play with Tavernier and Barisic, but maybe they ask one of your sort of middle three to turn it into a back three a bit more often. I mean, you've got Kamara there who would be more than happy, I imagine, to to, to completely sit in. Uh, and at the goal, so it looked like the criticism was mainly aimed at Aribo. He was sort of just jogging back and didn't look like he was doing it. But um, these are the warning signs you need. I mean, it's hard to, I mean, we're, we're being hypercritical because, I mean, the Rangers are becoming extremely difficult to criticise any part of their of their game because it's so imperious now. And, and sorry, all the stats point to them being borderline perfect in the league. But um these ideas like maybe conserve some energy. They showed that in, in other games towards the end of December where they were sort of willing to take their foot off the gas and maybe they should have done that done that here uh, and maybe just ask Kamara or Davis to just, just sit in there and, and just keep the ball off Aberdeen because Aberdeen, they, outside of the, those two incidents for the red card, didn't look like they had absolutely anything to, to do with, with this match, really. Um, is there anything else you want to add to that, Joel, Craig? No, no. I think I think that's enough on this game. Lovely. Well, let's go to oh, what a fancy. Hey, let's go to uh, Tory Macaroni, Livingston. Joel, I know you are um, excited to sort of watch Livingston. You've been you were talking to me off air about um, how you've not had a chance to catch them uh, through this brilliant run, and that's them at what eight games in a row and seven games winning in a row. And what did you what what did you notice in this game about this new sort of carnation of of Livingston? It's not that I've not had a a, a a chance to watch a chance to catch them. It's just that I've I've taken a, a t- taken a break from football over the last few weeks to watch very little very little games and have a break. So I uh, the, the Livingston were probably you the didn't team have to I admit looking... that Joel. I knew that, but I was sort of creating this. <laughs> Sort of world where uh, you've just been watching other things. We've got to, we've no, got no, to keep no, this no. facade that we live and breathe football non-stop forever. Stop giving Some, people a look behind the curtains. Sometimes you have to take a break. But no, Livingston were the team I was looking forward to watching the most. Because obviously it's uh, seen how well they're doing. I half watched a game against Hibs, which was which was awfully fun. But that game was... I kind of looked at that from his Hibs perspective because they were so disorganised. But Livingston, I think... I, I, I think this, this run and their style of play and performances maybe suggest that 
Martindale didn't have as much influence as maybe we, um, many expected or thought he did under Holt because Gary under Gary Holt, Livingston certainly did try to play uh, a bit more football. Maybe they tried to evolve, whereas I think Martindale came came in and or, or taken over. And they brought them back to kind of Livingston off old Livingston that we expect. And the Livingston that, that suits the players at the club and kind of a lot, a lot of the players are, are signed for. The, you've seen it with the... You've seen it with the... The, the, the goal. The goal, it's just... Uh, Devlin plays a ball over the top. One thing they want to do is they want to turn the opposition defenders. That's what they constantly want to do. You've seen it. Robinson turned and uh, Keith Watson, who... I was had to double and triple check that he was playing centre back. Uh, was was turned and Robinson play, uh, scored an absolute lovely goal. And it was it was that they they, they played in the they played in the final third a lot more uh, a lot quicker. They turned defenders. They won set pieces. They won throw-ins. And it was it was it was very much Livingston of old. Yeah, I was thinking that when, but even just the the two goals, I thought they were absolutely sort of classic. Livingston goals in, in sort of different ways. Uh, as you say, the ball, the ball over the top, quick ball, that's sort of like being aware of the position of the, the opposition defenders. Uh, and obviously when you've got Robinson up there, you've got a completely willing runner. And now we have to accept he, he, he has quality. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good Scottish Premiership player now. And he had a great finish. But even the second goal, while the way they got to the edge of the box was a bit different than, than, than what we maybe say is the sort of classic Livingston way, they used sort of J. Emmanuel Thomas, who despite my criticism of him on here, he done really well for that. And they sort of moved through the gears and done well. But the way that they acted around the box for Forrest is, is, is sort of classic Livingston. Normally they're quite direct to getting there, but once they get to the edge of the box, they're really comfortable interchanging, third man yeah. running. Uh, they're actually really good to watch in that position. Um, Absolutely, there was there was a moment just before there was a moment was it just before that goal, or certainly before that goal where the uh, where the I think they they had a set piece sort of throw in and uh, kind of got knocked back out to the edge, edge of the box, but they still had the ball. They still retained the ball in the final third, and then they they, they knocked it about very very smartly with a, a lot of movement. And just on J. Emmanuel Thomas, I think it was interesting that Jack Hamilton has been brought back from East Fife. He was brought on before Jet, and then when J. Emmanuel Thomas came on, he came on and he played wide because kind of I think just that that kind of he kind of epitomises that like he was a striker that maybe Gary Hall wanted to play and help the team evolve style stylistically. Whereas with Martindale, he's probably not the um, not the player the all action player like Robinson or Dykes before who can play that that style. Craig, what do you, how how good are Livingston? What 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 are we talking about? Are these is this a team that's going to be fighting with Aberdeen and Hibs now for a place in sort of one of the European competitions on offer? I love being put in this position. It's like when we're getting asked if St Mirren are going to be in the top six um, because you, you watch them for a wee spell and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, this looks like a good team. And then you always you're always terrified to make that prediction, and then they just like lose their next four games or stumble a wee bit as St Mirren have. But I have thoroughly enjoyed watching Livingston play basically since they got promoted. I, I think I said this before. I was I was at the second leg of the playoff final against Partick Thistle when they came up, and and I absolutely loved watching the last half hour, where they basically were playing like a five five zero, 
and just like Partick Thistle just didn't get anywhere near the goal. And it was just like like just you know how you know how to play football, you know how to win games, and and it might not. I always say it might not be exciting for the neutral, but it's it's sure as hell exciting when it's your team doing it because everyone's just really good at what they're doing, and that having that degree of competence throughout your team, um, is something that as a as a fan, that's exactly what you want. Um, the the thing that struck me is that that first goal I think um some sums up what they're good at, and it's. People kind of can talk about long long balls and being direct and stuff, but there's there's a difference between being direct. I think it was levelled at Kelly quite rightly for a while, which is just humping the ball up to a striker with no real idea of what you're supposed to be doing, and being direct as they were there, where it's actually really intelligent. You're you're waiting for an opportunity to kind of set someone away to 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 launch a ball over the top to give yourself a chance of actually doing something. It's targeted. It's about kind of. Um, been quick thinking and it's about and you see the quick thinking in the past but also in, in the finish obviously from Robinson um, which is brilliant and that's the type of thing that, that makes me think if you in this league being competent everyone being good at what they're supposed to do and everyone understanding where they stand in the team you can get away with a lot if you have that all of those things and Livingston very much do so I I will say that I would be surprised if they don't finish in the top five um, and 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 it wouldn't be beyond. I think the 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 winning run will stop. Of course, they're not going to win every game, um, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if they at least kind of troubled Aberdeen and Hibs for a wee while. It might be that Aberdeen and Hibs eventually pull away from them, but it feels like they're more likely to be causing going in that direction than they are to kind of being brought down to the pack below. I wouldn't. But, I wouldn't be. I think there's. I think going to staying on that. I think there's more chance of them overtaking Hibs than being pulled into the the muck below. I do think they're going to be in Europe next season, but obviously because of uh, a, a team who's already qualified for Europe winning the Scottish Cup. That's very exciting times. And I and, and, and I, agree, I agree. They've got a huge game coming up. They've got a huge little period here, actually, where they're mm-hmm. going to be asked a lot of questions because they've got their games in hand uh, and they're playing Aberdeen. Then they've got Celtic back-to-back, as far as I'm aware. So um, depending on by the time this goes it depends on how many players are missing for Celtic and what players are, that are, are I've just isolated. sorry sorry to interject Tony but I've just seen the Celtic lineup and Go for it. Load, loads of players are uh, loads of players are missing so the one like the ones that have been kicking about social media so they are um, they are playing a player called Cameron Harper good and they are so it's uh, Shane Duffy's even having to play so like the only the only regulars are Sorrow Turnbull Rogic Frimpong, McGregor, Johnston, Laxalt. Uh, they've got no strikers. A Yeti, Dembele, a Yeti, Edward, um, and Griffiths, Griffiths are n- n- none of them are playing. Well, that's decent news. So, like going on, going on that obviously decent news for Hibs, but uh, like Livingston, that obviously that those players are still going to be out for next uh, for Saturday's game when they play Livy. The the one team they won't want to face with that. With that eleven, aside from Rangers, of course, is is, is Levy. Well, they play Levy twice, right? Because they play them in the the Wednesday as well, so they might be missing for both games against Levy. No, I don't they know exactly. I think they've they've they have to self isolate from the day they arrive. By, so the ten days start from the day they arrive back. Has that been reduced from fourteen to ten? Because it used to be fourteen. It was fourteen. It's, when, it's, when I think it's I think it. it's ten now. Yeah, it's ten now. So okay, yeah. so they, they will. But but of course they're, 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 technically, they're technically not supposed to be training. I mean they can run around their gardens, um, but yeah, 
Um, Some would say I mean, that's Kelly, better Kelly, than Kelly, what Neil Lennon will give them, but that's that's for another discussion. Kelly went out and beat Livingston the day after our uh, our players came back, but that was Gary Holt's Livingston, so so a different prospect. Um, but yeah, I I really like watching them. Um, I've I've watched them turn up and roll us over, or or, or, or didn't roll Kelly over a couple of times. Um, Christmas game, I've lost track of time. Twenty nineteen Christmas, it would have been in the beat is three 0 at the Tony Mac and. That was with Lyndon Dykes up front, but but Robinson, he's obviously not Lyndon Dykes, but he has some of the same traits in terms of how he gets about the park, and yeah, they they're, they're just a they're just a really um a lot of the other teams in the league are quite similar to each other, and Livingston are very different, and that's one of the best things about them. That central uh, it, sorry 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 Craig, that central five, uh, Bartley, Holt, Mullen, Pittman. Sibold, uh, it's, it's it's that's really good. Uh, it really suits that suits them. They're all getting to play in roles where Bartley sort of sort of plays quick balls round the back uh, rather than him having to hold on to the ball. Holt gets licensed to sort of try and use the ball intelligently. He's allowed to dribble. He's got players' feet that he can play it with the guys in front of them. Mullins such a really good reactive player. Um, Pittman can do everything. He can drive for deep, which we saw from the for the for the second goal. And Sybil, sort of good all rounder, who sort of found himself out of the team earlier in the season, and now they're bringing off Forrest. They've got Emmanuel Thomas, uh, Lawson's a good player up there. Hamilton's getting a goal, and then even in defence, like Ambrose has found himself back in there with Kieran Brown being moved to. To, to left back, and uh, that's meant that Serrano's not playing. So like the squad looks like really, really deep, and like and I, and I don't mean that in a and sort of pat the head sort of way. It's like all these guys we've all watched them all play regularly and all have good games and know what they're they're all about. So you're talking about that's a good eighteen players that that there won't be really much of a drop off if if one's coming in and and one's going out. Yeah, I think the big thing is just reading. Uh, reading Livy's, uh, I think, listen, sorry, listen to some of their fans is that game by game they they don't really have a, a settled eleven. I think they have a settled core, but just the fact that Martindale has picked, he's got the players he knows uh, he can trust, and it extends beyond just eleven names. So he knows that if there's a particular weakness that he wants to exploit in an opposition team, he can chop and change. And I think uh, I think that's one of the, the real positives about Livy at the moment. And there's like a couple of players have been transformed. Nicky Devlin, he was getting castigated at the start of the season. He was really, really poor. And he's come on to a brilliant game recently. I thought was, I was really impressed with just his driving runs uh, at the win at the weekend. And also Jason Holt had a really understated kind of performance just in the, the, the middle, just knitting everything together. We'll get into Ross County sort of quickly before we move on. They'll be really disappointed at that first goal, I think. Um, that was sort of more like when Kelwell was there, he played that sort of really high line in a back three. And when I noticed when they played Hibs, that was something, and I, met, I think I mentioned it on the podcast, that the defence looked a lot deeper, so they'll be disappointed with that. Um, what about Jason Naismith? I mean, he came, that, that, that was him getting another game under his belt. I know he played against St Johnston, but it was a great cross for the goal, wasn't it? He's he's a good player, Naismith. Like I, I think he's he's not he's a bottom half Premiership player. I think in in reality, but he's a he's a solid right back, and he should improve things. And I think get, getting him in was a good piece of business. Certainly, when you you look at kind of the the right back options that they had available in the first half of the season, that there wasn't um there wasn't much much that you would kind of be be keen to have. Um, but the the thing for me with County is 
you wondered with with the change of manager if they would stop leaking goals, um, but not really. Um, it's another three kind of shipped in this game, and I think it's a worry that if you talk about a new manager bounce, the they've not really had it. They got the win against Hibs, but they they've continued to kind of bumble along with the same sort of form that they had before. Um, the the one thing I would say is that from the highlights is that it was very clear that uh, John Hughes is very vocal as a manager, um, because you could hear him. Um, I, maybe it was just where the cam the the microphones were at the the Tony uh, Tony Macaroni, but he was very loud um, and kind of dishing out instructions to his players throughout the game. Now that that's probably a good thing as long as the the instruction remains positive, which to be fair, it mostly seemed like it was. Um, but the interesting thing I guess is that you expect when you bring in a manager. To get at least a lift at the start, and and they picked up a few points, but I don't think it it was any different to what went before. I would. I really did like the makeup of their defence. They play moved Yakoviti to left back, mm-hmm. and I watched a lot of his clips. Yakoviti, I watched a lot of his games at the start of the season before, uh, before the season started when Ross County first signed him, and he. he he was a centre-back who kind of meet Matteo centre-back who also played left-back for Oldham and every time he played left-back for Oldham he looked like a, a centre-back playing left-back. Keith Watson is, for me, is not a Scottish Premiership centre-back. No, I'd agree. And Yakoviti, sometimes I watch him, he's got a decent pass on him. In case, like he, he can play sort of raking balls. Uh, mm-hmm. Wide, I think that worked quite well for them when uh, Charles Cook was, was sort of playing more in those wide positions, but this seems to be, I don't know if it's a theme, because I think there's so much chopping and changing over every single game for Ross County since Hughes came in, which is which is obvious. I mean, he wants to try out different players. He's trying to find the system. But against Hibs, he had Watson at right back, uh, and, he, and then he had, um, I think he had Reed at left back in that game. So he had one attacking fullback and then one who would sort of slot in who's probably more of a defender. And in this game, like you say, he's went for Yakoviti at left back and he's got Naismith pushing forward. So I don't know if that's a theme that maybe he wants to be able to sort of when they have the ball move into a, a back three. Um, Joel, we've been talking about Harry Payton getting more output in the last third. He got his goal against Hibs and uh, I suppose we have to call that an, an assist in this game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that was one of the things I noted down in my, my notes because I watched it and I like, oh, scuffed his shot. Then the the first replay I watched, I was like, has he actually has he actually played a really cute pass there? Then the third replay, no, no, it is just a really, really awful effort. And he has scuffed it into the, the, the path of uh, path of Larkin. He, um, yeah, Ross. I don't think it was a, a an overly great match, and not a lot of uh, not a lot of kind of great attacking play for from either t- either team across the piece. And he, Peyton kind of just the usual kind of flitted in and out. It's hard because he was kind of fielded wide, or started from a wide position. They do seem to have all that. The squad looks to be fully fit now. Need enough. Uh, looking at it, like you mean, Vigers, Mackay, Hilton, Charles Cook, Gardine, uh, obviously Andrew's been brought in and Josh Reed's on the bench. So um, it'll be interesting to see what he ends up going with because I think a lot of people would argue that something like Vigers has been a mainstay um, sitting in there kicking people for, 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 the, for the whole season. And I would argue that Charles Cook, after a bad start, started to show that he was sort of quite a crucial player to them and they do lack pace all over the pitch. Uh, and that would, for me, would mean that I think Charles Cook needs to play, or Hilton needs to. One of them needs to play, just even if they're not playing well, just so there is some sort of pace. 
in that team. Um, but yeah, it'll be really interesting because he's got a fully fit squad there. Ollie Shaw missed an absolute sitter in this game, but he did get the goal against Hibs. But obviously once um, Stewart being their main injury, once he comes back, you imagine he will play. But that time gets shorter and shorter and those teams around them outside Hamilton um, and sort of a Motherwell, you, you assume they're going to be getting better and better. So I still think it's really worrying times for Ross County. Talking of Motherwell, let's go to St Mirren. Let's go to Paisley, where St Mirren played Motherwell. Um, this was Alexander's first game, and he went with a, sort of to me, looked like a 4-3-3 formation where he started with sort of hasty Cole and Watt. Uh, Joel, I know you watched this game. I, I, I thought that that worked okay, especially in the first half. I liked um, sort of Watt dropping deep, picking up the ball, and sort of cool going and sort of stretching the game and, and going mm. over the top. How did you find it? Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that assessment. I, over the piece, I, I, out of the four games I watched this week from the Premiership, I watched this weekend. I thought this was the uh, this was the poorest uh, or or least entertaining. Um, other than the fact that it was Motherwell's first game under under uh, Graham Alexander. Looking at this, the starting eleven, I thought that was much more. That was. Just trying to think, because uh, I'm not the team lines up uh, in front of me, but uh, that was probably Motherwell's one of the strongest, strongest. Yeah, 11. yeah, I would, I would agree, especially with Kelly coming in in goal, so they don't have to play sort of like a cardboard cutout in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and if, with Grimshaw, a willing, uh, kind of really earnest, uh, earnest player, but I just he's not someone I would. Um, I would be playing every week, so he wasn't wasn't in midfield, and I like the balance. I like the balance of the the midfield with uh, Polworth, Campbell, and O'Hara, but it, it just understandably just over the over the piece, it, it just didn't quite click. But there was positives there, and you, you, this this isn't a team that should be getting relegated. I think this is a team that's gone and uh, that's just stagnated under. I think it just it stagnated under under Stephen Robinson and. When you talk about John Hughes and that manager bounce, I wouldn't be surprised if Alexander that he doesn't get a manager's bounce. I think this this could be a longer term, um, a longer term issue for him to for him to sort and kind of put his own stamp on the team. Craig, what did you what did you feel when you first heard um, sort of Graham Alexander would come in? What was your sort of gut instinct on that? I I mean I I don't, can't profess to be a kind of big follower of English lower league football, but for a, for me Alexander, that's why we love you, Craig. That's nobody who follows English lower league football will ever be invited on this show. I don't think. <laughs> but the the one thing with uh, Alexander is that I knew that he kind of got um got the bullet from Salford after they kind of didn't really do as well as I think they would have hoped for in the league in League Two. Considering the budget that that Salford have, I mean, we know we know they came up and took kind of Vaclav Vladke and were paying him a fortune compared to um, to what he got in, in um, Adam Rooney before that. They presumably had the biggest budget or very close to it in League Two in England, and they didn't really fulfil that. But he did seem to do all right in his previous jobs before that. But you look at him, I think compared to Mickey Mellon, who came in from obviously a similar background, I feel like I feel like Mellon had a much better track record as a manager. Um, than Alexander does, but so I, I have my doubts about him coming in. I think I think Graham um, Graham and Derek when they were talking about it on the Patreon podcast about Motherwell kind of touched on the, the the notion that that he would probably be a good manager to come in in a summer and you know put his stamp on things. But I think it's a risk. 
um, doing so in January. Um, I think if you're looking at the comparison, and, 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 and I know there are a number of reasons why they might not have hired Tommy Wright or why Tommy Wright might not have, um, have wanted a Motherwell job, but if you're looking at this time of year and who you would think would be more likely to keep him up, you'd have to say right because he knows the league whereas you you are running the risk of bringing in someone who's kind of never experienced Scottish football before doesn't have a clue you know what's going on up here I mean he okay, did say Scotland that as well Alexander yeah, okay. actually was quoted in saying that that he, he was going out of his comfort zone yeah I mean okay he's a Scotland international and I think he had 40 caps for Scotland but he never played up here, um, so it doesn't really. It doesn't being a Scotland international doesn't automatically mean that you actually pay much attention to the league when you you live. You've basically lived your whole life um, not in this country, and his assistant he's brought Chris Lachetti is very much the same. So that's interesting. I mean, he's obviously got the existing staff to lean on that that were there before, but that that to me it, could, it can be a good thing because you know you come in with no kind of preconceived notions and that can help you're just assessing the players as they are I mean Steve Clark presumably wasn't following much Scottish football before um, before he came here but Steve Clark had experience in the English Premier League and Graham Alexander's got experience in League 2 so there is a there is a difference <laughs> yeah. um, so it will be interesting I would say but I I had my doubts about the appointment but in fairness it looked like he got a good tune out of them more or less compared to what had gone before. Uh, Joe, I was um, the first half. I thought was was a, was a decent watch um, for for reasons. Is like I thought Motherwell started like like they were wanting to work hard. They were they were keen, but they still looked nervous. It still looked like mm. there'd been scars from from previous games. And then uh, I thought St Mirren. They sort of got at them pretty fast. I like St Mirren's makeup of their team, and now that I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to profess to be Brophy's biggest fan, but the four-two-three-one they've got there, they are so close to just having it. I mean, there's only one one position where it's not really already told, and that's probably out wide on the right, where um, sort of McAllister played um, this week, and obviously in other games it has been. Oh, it's just struck my mind too. Is it that's been playing out on the right? Uh, he got sent off against Hibs. Um, no, nah, it's gone. I've forgotten exactly who it is. But um, um, I was going to say Brandon Mason, it, but not Brandon Mason. Mason, Mason off, yeah, Mason, left, yeah. It's a left back. Yeah, but he's been, he was playing out. On, he's been he playing further forward. Like, he's been playing further forward, and they've had Connolly oh. out on the right in, in other yeah. games recently. Um, but so they've had so they had McAllister, sort of McGrath and Connolly, supported by Erehon and, and Doyle Hayes. With Erwin up front, you've got to assume that this was sort of Erwin's last dance. Um, they, they went with a 4-4-2 at the second half and they did sort of take control more of the game in the second half, but it was much unfortunate because, as I said, in the first half, I thought it was much more up and at them, Scottish football classics, but then St Mirren sort of got to grips with it a lot more in the second half and that actually made the game sort of more boring, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, uh, I would I would agree with that again. Uh, again, I was kind of tuning in to 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 really to see St Mirren because as as well because they're another team who've done who've picked up well of late, and I'm only seeing bits and bobs. I've heard a lot of good things about uh, Doyle Hayes, about uh, about Connolly, and Connolly was it was kind of he's, he's he's an unusual looking player in terms of the 
kind of socks quite low down. He's 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 quite he's quite skinny. You don't think he's going to be this a probably this exciting winger, but he is. He's he's quick and he, he can turn defences. And the, the one thing I really like about the about Samirin and what Jim Goodwin's been doing is that he's he's kind of been changing the makeup of the team and bringing a lot more youthful kind of uh, vibrancy to the. It's certainly further forward because you've got a you've actually got a really experienced defence uh, that players that know about the Premiership would take. Shaughnessy and Fraser and then in front you've got a lot like the, the midfield five are just really dynamic young kind of hungry players I'd like to see a place for Cammy McPherson in there and mm-hmm. going forward while not being overly impressed with St Mirren at the weekend going forward there's a lot to be uh, excited about for St Mirren I did notice a lot of fans getting really excited about Eamon Brophy's signing I quite like Brophy I think he's a good player but at the same time there is, uh, he's not got the greatest scoring record. He has the ability to really frustrate, and I'm really curious to see how how he's going to fit in to the players behind him, like the, the, the attacking free, and whether Goodwin might think to play him alongside Obika, because over the last, Craig will tell me if I'm wrong, but over the last kind of 12 to 18 months or so, Brophy's best scoring form has came when he's been playing in a in a two with Kabamba. Yeah, well, with, with someone with Kabamba or Stuart or Boyd or whoever it was throughout mm. his kind of career, he's been better with a partner. I thought he actually... I actually was most impressed with him as a player when he was playing as a lone striker last season when he was our only striker because I thought like he's he was doing a hell of a good job for the team but that's that's fine but in terms of scoring goals um it's been playing with playing with someone um now I don't I think I don't think uh, St. Mir- his best goal scoring form came with with Boyd and Stewart and St. Mirren clearly don't have anyone of of the quality of either of those two um but I think I think he'll do fine at St Mirren. I think I think he's a good player at this level. I've always liked him as a player, but always also felt he's um, a lot of Kelly fans overrated him at, at times. And and I think I was kind of quite on the record as saying that I thought we should have tried to get rid of him, and maybe we did when when his stock was high um, after the kind of eighteen nineteen season because I think that was. I think we we got the absolute most that we could hope to get out of him in in that season. I think I think the fact that he's had to end up at St Mirren say, says a lot about where his career's gone since then. Um, it's very much a sideways step, if not if not a slight step down. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the thing I would worry about is I, I really like McGrath. I was taught, on this top five Premiership players of the month. He was someone I, I picked, and he was really high. And I was impressed with him pretty much again. I love the way him and Doyle Hayes sort of dovetail. Doyle Hayes is so good; it seems so good at intercepting and reading the game. Mm-hmm and getting the ball forward to him. But one thing I'd worry about if I was a St Mirren fan is that McGrath likes a shot. And if you've got the two central players are like McGrath in behind Brophy, um, so we could have some high percentage, like low percentage finishing. Uh, and I did, I quite liked it. Michael Stewart knew his stuff. He, when he was asked on sports scene, I was actually waiting to criticise. I was waiting when they asked him about uh, is Brophy going to bring the clinical side to St Mirren, which they've missed for a long time. Uh, I was waiting to jump on uh, all the pundits on sports and I was expecting them to give that throwaway answer because Brophy's a big name and we've seen him score goals. Um, but they did, he, to be fair to Stuart, he did mention the fact that 
um, he's got reservations about Brophy being that type of player for St Mirren. So it'll be really interesting to see anyway. Are we moving on then? Let's do it. Craig Anderson, what, this is your what moment. The, what about the penalty decision just before we move oh, on? I, I, yeah, that's a, I, the, the, I just thought the worst. It, it's, it's not a penalty and it must be uh, it must be terrible for Motherwell to have something awarded against them that they didn't deserve. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's never a penalty in a, in a, in a month of Sundays. I, didn't, I couldn't believe it. Even... It's like when he goes down, it's already there's a brushed arm, and he doesn't even go down at the right time for that brushed arm to make it look like it's a penalty. He goes down after it, and uh, yeah, I thought it's one of the it's one of the worst decisions of the of the season uh, for me. I, I mean, I didn't uh, I didn't really want to talk about it. I just thought I'd, I'll get my little bitter line that I'd prepared, and just just I didn't want to miss out on that. You can always have a bit. You your bitterness is de- always welcome here. That's that degree um, of professionalism coming in again. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Um, well, something you weren't bitter about, Craig, was um, Kilmarnock um, finally finding some form and beating sort of Hamilton Academicals 2-0. But we might as well have another start of how many defenders did Hamilton play? So what was it oh, this week? It was six this time. Six. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, Char- Charlie Trafford was in the midfield rather than playing two defenders in the midfield. So they, they had... Um, Trafford, Callaghan, and Moyo and Winter all playing as um as non non defenders along with the the ones that were playing. They also had um George Stanger or Stanger, I don't know how you pronounce it, Stanger, I would assume, um coming in for one of his first games. I think he maybe played a few games, but he's a kind of young New Zealand boy. But I think he yeah he's, they said he's, in, they said now yeah I was just I was just gonna say he's he's he's, he's played a few times. Uh, I think, and I think there's some at Hamilton who have uh, had uh, big hopes for me. He played New Zealand, played for the New Zealand youth team when they came up against Erling Haaland, and he um, and he kept that uh, beast quiet, but couldn't do it with uh, Danny Whitehall. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Erling Haaland's not not going to the Euros, so that that says it says a lot about him, I think. Um, yeah, so what about like let's look at Kilmarnock though. I mean, we've spoken about Hamilton quite a lot recently. I know I was on, and Joel, I will come to you to talk about Callahan because I know you've you've got a lot to say. I think on the on him, but Kilmarnock, like what's so Whitehall's? It's, it's, I think this bizarre, but it's like is Whitehall now sort of seen off Eamon Brophy, seen off Kibamba, who was sort of like uh, a bit of a a shock, um, sort of how good he was as a sign, and even though his forms falling off a cliff. Is is Whitehall the, the, the man now up front, Craig? I, I wouldn't go that far, definitely, but I would say that he has made the team a lot better. Um, he's not a good footballer. I don't think he has a great deal about him, to be honest, in terms of ability, in terms of, you know, if you were to say technically, is this guy a good footballer? No, he's not. But what he has is a presence and he makes really intelligent runs. Um, he, he seems to drag defenders around a lot. He's kind of constantly playing on the shoulder. He knows when to drop deep. So he's got the game intelligence, I think, to kind of make us a better team. And he and he does link up quite well. Um, we'd had kind of I was talking to to um, Al Mitchell, who we've had on a couple of podcasts before, and he was comparing him to Connor Salmon, and I was comparing him to Alan Russell. And I think he's uh, he's he's somewhere in between because he's. Better, I think he's going to be better for us than Russell was, but probably not quite as um, explosive as Salmon was uh, for Kelly. But he's he's in that kind of mode of just sometimes you get a striker who just makes the team around him better. You saw it with the second goal. 
I mean, it's partly really bad defending from Hamilton, as we said, six defenders on the park and, and not one of them thinks to be within about 10 metres of Greg Kilty, but Whitehall being there is just enough to kind of, I think, make some of them think twice because we had the ball out wide and obviously they start to think, are they going to sling across to him? And it creates an opening, um, which perhaps wouldn't be there with a different striker. And so so I think he's making the team better. I think the changes that, that were made ahead of the... Well, he started it with the Livingston game, but then the performance was really poor. But the changes that have been made to the team recently and having him as centre-forward, having Kilty playing in the number 10 role, which I think has always been his best position, but there's always been doubts about whether he was quite good enough. I think when we had better players around, you would always say, well, can you can you afford that? But right now, he needs to play every week. And also having um, Malumbu uh, in the middle of the park, just having... Guys who are willing to take risks and guys who are willing to actually make something happen um, has made a big difference to that team. So I think the performance levels, they've not been perfect by any means, but there's there's a definite sign of, oh, we can see how we're actually going to score a goal now, which wasn't there for, for weeks. So Whitehall, if he's going to be like Connor Salmon, does that mean that Greg Kilty, to get him up there, does that mean he's going to be, have to be like Eremenko? <sighs> I, I, there's a comparison <laughs> to be made, but um, I, the only comparison is that Greg Kilty is not as good as Aaron Mayfield. <laughs> well, 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 on, that, like well on that, Craig, I was going to ask, well, so Kilty's had a pretty decent season and I know you've spoken about him a fair bit and he's sort of coming through, his output's improving. I think he was always thought of as quite a hard working forward. Um, and that guy could maybe maybe create something, but it wasn't something you would, would consistently see. Um so he's getting to what, 24 now. But where do you see Kilty's ceiling being now? Um, can can he move on for Kilmarnock or is he going to be, or is he now, do you, do you believe that he's now going to be like a main man at Kilmarnock? I think he's done enough to, to definitely say that he now, he's now an, a, not quite a first name on the team sheet, but close to that now. You, you would expect him to play more games than, than he doesn't. I think obviously he was, he was, he was the, the absolute star of the team under Lee Clark really in that period um, you know he obviously scored two goals in the playoff finally scored a double against Hamilton in a game before that as well even at that young age I think he would have been about 18 at that point he was he was clearly the talisman of that team and was linked with moves I think I think Hibs were linked with him quite strongly and, and when he signed the contract at that point which he did it was, it was a massive coup for Kelly to keep a hold of him um, fortunately I think he has a Kelly fan growing up and stuff which makes a big difference Um Obviously, then got a couple of really bad injuries that, that set him back. And I think when the loan started going and he wasn't really getting much of a sniff under Steve Clark and then subsequently Alessio um, as well, you started to worry about his future. But he's finally kind of worked his way back in. And I think he's probably not a Steve Clark type of player. So in, in hindsight, it's not a surprise that he didn't get much of a, a look in there. But you can see with quality offers. And if he keeps playing like this, there's no reason he can't play for a better team in the Premiership. I mean, the hope is that we will be the better team that he plays for, if you know what I mean. But if we're not, then he, he can definitely do what someone like Scott Wright's done at Aberdeen. Like, he's he's definitely, I think, of that level. I think he doesn't have the pace to play at a really high level. I think his he, creative ability is, is second to none. I think he's technically excellent. And his finishing is very good, as, as we saw again. Um, he's he's going to get 
kind of got that predatory one and and a really nice kind of curled finish. Yeah, they were very they were very different. Well. They were very different finishes, but they were both of a high side. The first one you think you don't think much of it. Um, you think just diverting it's quite lucky, but when you see the replay, there's sort of intelligence about it. It's all it's all very deliberate. And the second one is 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 that's high quality. I, I think it's poor defending, but um, he's confident. He takes his time. He he isn't rushed and sort of bends it into the corner. I think it's when you see a player, who, and he's one of them, he takes the ball, and as soon as he has the ball under control, he adapts his body shape straight away. So you, you never kind of, you see players, and it really annoys me when you see a player get on the ball and it takes them like five touches to have their body facing the way you would like it to be. <laughs> um, Aaron McGowan is um, a player who I think is particularly bad for that in the current Kelly team. Uh, I think it stands out as a real lack of technical ability compared to a lot of the guys around him, um, which is maybe being harsh um, on him, but I am unconvinced by. But when you see um, Kelty do it, I think he, you watch him and you think that you just you know how to play football. And, and then they're talking about predatory goals, he obviously scored one against Livingston earlier on the season where uh, Ross McCrory dropped the ball and he was standing right there and reacted to it instinctively and, and managed to prod it in as well. And a lot of players would have missed that because they wouldn't have kind of got, they wouldn't have been quick thinking enough. And so I think he's a really intelligent player and, and I'm really pleased. Um, I, I saw Alex Dyer say today that getting him on a new contract is a kind of priority now. Um, hopefully a long one. I think I think there's no risk in giving, giving someone like him like a two and a half year, three year deal because at, even if he doesn't kick on, he's going to be a very good squad player for Kelly at the very, very least. So... It feels very low risk. Um, yeah, I am really pleased to see him do well. Were you feeling much more comfortable with Finlay and Broadfoot together again? Yeah, Finlay had an, yeah, yeah, they they are they are and have been an excellent partnership. And I think Broad, Broadfoot's probably been potentially a player of the season so far. Um, he, he gets a bit of stick, but he's been very good. Finlay's been hot and cold, but Finlay had an excellent game on on Saturday. And that pairing is by far our best pairing. And if we can get something out of Finlay again and, and he, he can again he's one that's out of contract and I've no idea whether he will or will not be staying but because um, there, there will be clubs sniffing about I'm sure but mm. but he, he does seem to enjoy it at, at Kelly um, he made an absolute incredible block from Andy Winter in the uh, yeah, first half there, there was two of them where he, he kind of came back almost out of nowhere to make a tackle and, and that's the one reservation I would have about, you know, yeah, we've, we've taken seven points, should have been nine points really um, but for a, a terrible error from, from Rodgers against St Mirren from the last three games and played much better but there has been fragility there and Aki's had two chances that came from our defensive shape um, and, and it mainly came from the midfield in front um which is where he missed Gary Dicker, just really not being um, not being set up very well. And you can get away with that against Motherwell, the way they've been playing against St Mirren and against uh, Hamilton Ackies, but the next run of games is against slightly better opposition, like the next game's against Hibs. You can't get away with that type of thing. So as much as I think there's a, there's been a vast improvement in those last three games, I do worry that you come up against better opposition and just get picked off again. And... That's been the kind of story all the way through Dyer's reign, especially this season. We've, we've won most of the games against the, the bad teams, but we've we've not laid many gloves on the good teams. And obviously we spoke, I think we spoke at length about Hamilton in recent weeks, certainly podcasts I've been on. Um, and I don't think we've learned anything else really about them. They, they managed to fashion a couple of chances like they do in, in most games. Um, and, and when they don't take them, they've, they've absolutely no chance of often hitting the bar. But... 
Um, what what do you think, Joe? I just wanted to talk about Ross Callahan. I noticed on Twitter you were talking, you were you were chatting about how impressed you are with him. What, how did you feel about him there? Yeah, so uh, I keep I keep saying this. I've not watched any football in like three weeks until this weekend. But I actually we watched know the Hamilton. That's a lie, Joe. Yeah, I know because I watched the Hamilton Motherwell game just because I wanted to see how bad uh, uh, Chapman was, and uh, yeah, he was stinking. But uh, Callahan. <laughs> Callan, I thought it was really good against Motherwell and there's one or two moments previous in the season where I've been okay. There's he, he can offer someone, uh, offer something to someone in the Premiership. Um, it really struck home against Kelly. Okay, the Hamilton. I'll come on to talk talk about Hamilton in general. Uh, but been really poor, but. The number 10 position, or a more advanced number 8, uh, is really suits him because he is he's kind of all action and he can link, because Hamilton plays so deep, he can kind of link play with his ability to, uh, just he, he, his power running and what surprised me more than, he's a, a new I know about his physical qualities, he's, he's, uh, he's really hard working, he's really dynamic, but I've always thought that it was his footballing ability that kind of maybe questioned where he was of top flight, top flight quality. But in certainly in the, the past few weeks, I've been really impressed by his his kind of awareness, intelligence, and there was a, a couple of times where he would uh, he'd play a pass around the corner or dribble away from someone. It's really good awareness and. Even though if it doesn't come off once, he'll, he'll still try it again, which is which is really good. Which is someone you need, uh, someone Hamilton need. I think Hamilton could be better and could get more out of Callan if they played much higher up the pitch. Because you look at against Kelly, they don't want the ball. Uh, they've not got the midfielders to play possession football. If they asked Callan to do that, I don't think he's he, he's capable of that. He's better when he's got. Uh, footballers around him if he's going to play in the centre of the pitch. So moving him further up, that gets a bit more uh, more out of him. But Hamilton, they kind of just they just gave up, basically gave up possession, gave up um, positioning. And there was one point in the 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 first half where I think it was the twenty first minute, all eleven Aki's players were deeper than the centre circle in their own half, and yet Broadfoot still managed to pick out a pass to Kelty, uh, who was behind and between. A dolphin and, and and Trafford and he had a nice running running shot. Aki's, I don't think are good enough to defend their box as we've seen. There's we've seen with, uh, with one of Kelly's goals where he just had acres of space because there was a miscommunication about who pressed, uh, who was to press the man on the ball or do you just um, can he hold your line? I don't think they're good enough to to defend their way out of uh, relegation and. For me, if I was Hamilton or if I was Brian Riggs, I'd be looking to, uh, I'd be pushing Hamilton a lot further up the park and basically just getting in teams' faces and just making it really difficult for them. Because when they do get the ball, it means they're so deep that they've got so much space to cover between where they get possession and the opposition goal. So it's no surprise that they don't have the the, the really poor possession play. They give the ball away more than any other team. They've got such a uh, they've got the worst passing. Um, accuracy in the league that's that's not surprising whereas if they played further up the pitch and pressed teams and then won the ball further up the pitch then they are much closer to the opposition goal so they they have to do less at the moment they're having to do so much with I would say a very limited attacking team because you've got David Templeton, Lewis Smith 
suppose Ogunpo all out. So I think there's was, structural structural issues. Where there. was the winger? Um, sorry, just I've just I can't believe I forgot his name, but he's been in the o- team in recent weeks. He's been pretty. Olabi or Justin no. Johnson. Um, he played. Callum Smith. No, he was. He, he's been in the. He's been in the team recently. Um, two seconds. Oh, but, sorry, and um, Thomas Nathan yeah. Thomas. Yeah, where, where was he? I mean, every time I've watched Hamilton recent weeks, I know people might be saying you don't even know the main guy's name that you were talking about, so it doesn't sound like you've really watched him. But uh, mm. uh, um, no, but when I've watched him, he's been like I, I said on this podcast that he is everything when I watched them in their game against St Johnston. That. With, he's going to be a one-man band about trying to keep them up in an attacking sense. And then I look at their team here, and he's not playing. Did he get injured? Did I miss that? Must have been, he's, I don't think he was uh, on... He would be on the bench because Rice only made one sub, and that was at half-time. Uh, half uh, yeah, so he he must be one of the others who are injured. Because I know Bryce, Rice has talked about the attacking players he's been without, but he still had um, he still had options on the bench in Olabi and Johnson, who mm. could have... Uh, tr- if, if he was trying to be a bit more attacking, uh, it would just seemed that as soon as Kelly went ahead, that was that was kind of game set and match. But I totally agree with you about they try to defend their way into staying up. Uh, they play with six, seven defenders, but they still concede like eighteen to twenty-five shots a game against sort of everyone. Like, like, yeah, like, like, like so sort of not just talking about sort of like Hibs and Aberdeen or Rangers Celtic. I mean. So as against St Johnson, it was twenty odd shots against Kilmarnock. I mean, these are teams that are um, been been off form and are playing and are in the bottom six along with them, and they're getting like twenty odd shots a game as well. So it's while I understand with the lack of attacking ability and the injuries why they may be playing that way, but why not take a bit of a risk? You're just losing games anyway. Um, like push up, you might take a couple of hammerings, but you might get like a few. Even I'm saying this, I, Hamilton have picked up a decent amount of points this uh, this last month, but none of it makes any fucking sense. So it's always really hard to sort of analyze by Hamilton as it has been for the last sort of eight years. So I think me saying it doesn't make sense and not knowing what I'm talking about is as good a time to finish as any. So I'd like to thank everyone for for listening. Uh, come and join us. We're going to go over to the Patreon to talk about the Scottish Cup. Um, and so we've all brought a few things and we're going to talk in general about that second round in the Scottish Cup so of our Patreon subscribers thank you very much come and join us everyone else send us a fiver come and join us it'll be good Joel say goodbye just before I say goodbye just a stat that I forgot to read out and I'll just I'll put it out there for the listeners how many goals have Motherwell scored while Jordan White has been on the pitch this season tweet me an answer He's fucking garbage as well. He really, really is. And Craig Anderson, you <laughs> I can't believe it. Have you got a stat for us to finish on? Uh, no, I don't. Wow, unheard of. Um, so, Craig, say goodbye to our fans. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.